God, we are so grateful and thankful to you for finishing the work. Thank you, Lord, that it is finished. There's no doubt about it. There's no business left undone. Thank you. Now, Lord God, my humble prayer as always is that it would be all of you and none of me that you would increase as I decrease. That the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 20. First we'll read verses 1 through 9 or all of chapter 20. And it reads as following. Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his cause to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in the city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to, to, to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness of the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation." And then chapter 21, we'll read verses 1 through 3, reads thusly. Then the heads of the fathers' house, houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them, At Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our life livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. And then skip over to the last verses of chapter 21, beginning at verse 43. We'll read through 45. And it says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the, of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Amen. You may be seated. From this passage, 
these passages in 20 and 21. I'll talk from this thought. Refuge provided, Levites settled, promises fulfilled. Refuge provided, Levites settled, promises fulfilled. Uh, brothers and sisters, to this point in our journey through Joshua, the children of Israel have succeeded in their task of claiming and subduing the land of Canaan. The tribes have received their inheritance, and for the most part, the conquest of the land is complete. But still, there is much work to be done by Joshua in Israel. In chapters 20 and 21, we will see and discuss the unique and merciful concept of provided refuge. Uh, we'll witness the long-awaited settlement of the Levites. And lastly, we'll see yet another confirmation of the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to his people Israel, the seed of Abraham. First off, in chapter 20, we see this, refuge provided. It's in chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, just read it to you. We see refuge provided. In the 1870s, the middle and lower east coast of Florida was described as a howling wilderness, which with no means for shipwrecked sailors to find food, fresh water, or shelter, other than lighthouses at places like Cape Canaveral and Jupiter, and a few settlers at Lake Worth and Biscayne Bay, the coast south of St. Augustine, Florida, was uninhabited. In October of 1873, during a hurricane, a ship wrecked between Biscayne Bay and New River, which is present-day Fort Lauderdale. The ship wrecked, sailors were unable to salvage any food or water and did not succeed in attracting the attention of the passing ships. When they were found several days later, they were said to be half-starved and existing on spoiled fish with only brackish water from a marsh behind the beach for drinking. The resulting publicity in northern newspapers led what was then called the Revenue Marine Service to order five houses of refuge to be constructed along the Florida coast. And in 1882, Congress authorized an additional five houses of refuge on the Florida coast. The houses of refuge in Florida were a series of stations operated by the United States Life Saving Service along the coast of Florida to rescue and shelter shipwrecked sailors. These houses were staffed by people known as keepers who with their families led solitary lives in order to find, rescue, and minister to those who fell victim to Florida's treacherous, treacherous reefs and shoals. 
Prior to construction of these houses, many shipwrecked victims made it to the isolated shore and then perished of starvation and thirst. As part of their duties, the keeper and his family walked along the shores as far as possible in search of shipwrecked victims. Ten of these houses of refuge were built. Of the ten, one house of refuge remains standing today. And it is a museum that you can visit located at the southern end of Hutchinson Island on the Florida coast. It's still there as a museum today. The house, it's called the House of, Ref of Refuge to rescue shipwrecked sailors. Refuge. What, what, what is refuge? Here's, here's a good definition. Refuge is that which shelters or protects from danger, distress, or calamity. A stronghold which protects by its strength or a sanctuary which secures safety by its sacredness. Any place inaccessible to an enemy. That's the definition of a, strong, of a refuge. We find the word refuge approximately 90 times in Scripture, which suggests that it's an important topic to God. Which brings us then to our text in the cities of refuge. Give you a little background on these cities uh, that we see in verses one through six. We get the background. Let me give you uh, a brief summary or synopsis of what we find in verses one through six uh, in regard to background. The sanctity of human life was and still is very important to God. So much so that there are always serious consequences when a human life is taken. Always serious consequences. In the ancient world, for those who committed premeditated and intentional murder, the accepted custom was that the nearest relative known as the avenger of blood would be responsible for exacting revenge by then killing the guilty person. But this custom that was accepted created an issue when there was an unintentional accidental manslaughter and an overzealous near relative. So one of the first ordinances God gave after the announcement of the Ten Commandments was given to address this issue. The establishment of cities of refuge for those guilty of killing someone, but innocent of premeditated intentional murder. Uh, it, it was a concept, by the way, unique to Israel. Other cultures observed blood revenge, but no other culture in the ancient Near East had cities like these. These cities uniquely reflected the mercy of Yahweh toward those who 
uh, who act without, who acted without malice or without foresight. These people would still, though, suffer difficult consequences, which we'll see, but would be spared the ultimate consequence of death. All of the background for this concept and the establishment of these cities is found in Numbers chapter 35 and Deuteronomy chapter 19. Essentially, how it worked was this way. If a person killed another accidentally, he was provided a place of asylum in one of the six cities of refuge. There was a catch, though. The catch was that he had to run as quickly as he could to the city before the avenger of blood was able to catch up to him. I mean, he had to take off running immediately and as fast as he could for this reason. The cities were strategically located throughout the occupied territory in a way that a person fleeing to them could reach one within a half day's journey from any part of the country. There were three east of the Jordan and three west of the Jordan. We'll see a map later where you'll be able to see where these six cities were located. The roads leading to these cities were kept in excellent condition and the crossroads were well marked with signposts. These signposts read in Hebrew, uh, miklot, miklot, meaning refuge, refuge. Also, there were people, stations are set up along the way to help guide those who were running to make sure they didn't get lost and they didn't uh, lose their way. Once the person running made it to the gate of the city, then the manslayer had to present his case to the elders of the city. Can you imagine? You've run for half a day with the avenger of blood somewhere hot on your trail. Couldn't stop, couldn't take a break because you knew if you did, you might not make it. And then when you arrived at the gate of the city, the first thing you had to do before the avenger of blood made it to the city also is you had to stand out of breath, weary, tired, and make your case at the gate of the city to the elders of the city before you would be allowed to make it in. You had to explain your situation, Brother Kimmy. Out of breath, panting, weary, tired. And at that time, a decision would be made as to whether or not to grant the person temporary refuge while he awaited an official trial. During this time, if the avenger of blood showed up, he would not be allowed to have access to the manslayer. If then found innocent, he was allowed to remain in the city safely guarded from the avenger. But 
strictly confined to the city until the death of the high priest. If you didn't die before the high priest did. But if you did make it until the high priest died, at that time, he was free to return to his own city. Because of this difficult process, one was to take very special care to avoid involuntary manslaughter at all costs. Because although there was refuge and there was mercy from the ultimate consequence, there were still severe consequences. Isolated, separated, restricted to the city. Couldn't go. If you went outside the wall, the avenger might be out there. And if he got you, it's over. But if you made it until the high priest died, you were allowed to go back. So, just as it is today, the uh, example is given in Scripture of a man who's wielding an axe and the handle falls off and it hits someone in the head and the person dies. It could happen for any reason, right? Uh, That person better hurry up and start running. Uh, 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 But there was an opportunity for the person to have refuge. So then we see... Refuse provided. Uh, Then in 7 through 9, we get the appointment of the cities of refuge in 7 through 9. These cities west of the Jordan in 7 through 9, we find out, were were Kedesh and Naphtali, the most northern tribe, Hebron and Judah, the most southern, and Shechem and Ephraim, which lay in the middle about equal distance from the other two. And east of the Jordan, we find out that Beza was there in Reuben, the most southern tribe, Ramoth in Gad in the middle, and Golan in Manasseh, the most northern. Here is a map that shows you where these cities were located. You can see that they were equally distributed throughout all the area. Uh, Kedesh in the far north, and Shechem in the middle, and Hebron in the south, and then Golan, Ramoth, and Bezer on the other side of the Jordan were there so that one could reach one of these places in a relatively short time. When I think about Israel, Israel's unique and merciful benefit of refuge, I'm reminded of passages like Psalm 46 that says this, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. I'm reminded of Psalm 91, 1 and 2 that says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I'm reminded of passages like Psalm 27 that says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 5 says this, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. He is refuge. 
The cities of refuge typify Christ. They, they typify Christ. They're types of Christ to whom sinners pursued by the avenging law, which decrees judgment on death, may flee for refuge. We can flee to Christ. In Christ, there is safety, security, and no condemnation. Even, watch this, for the sojourning stranger. In Christ, Paul says, Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, there's safety, security, and no condemnation. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 6:18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And then Paul writes in Philippians 3, 9 this way, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then one of my favorites in Romans 8 and 1, Romans 8 and 1, you know what it says about condemnation, don't you? There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, that you have found your refuge in him. These cities typify Christ. We can even see Christ typified in the names of the cities. The names of the cities even remind us that they are types of Christ. H.A. Ironside said this. He said, it would seem as though the names of the cities of refuge have suggestive meaning." At least, he says, they may well bring to our minds some of the privileges that are ours in Christ. And then James Smith, I like what he says about it. He says this, in looking over the meaning of the names of these cities, one is struck with the distinctive characteristic of each as showing forth some particular feature of the character of Christ. And when taken as a whole, illustrating the sufficiency of Christ as a refuge to meet all our need and the need of all. Christ is a refuge. These cities typify him even in the names. Let's take them one by one. Kedesh. Kedesh means holy place. In other words, it's a refuge for the unclean. The holiness of Jesus Christ becomes the hope of the unclean. Only that which is clean can cleanse. The unrighteous can only find refuge in the righteousness of God. Christ's finished work, Nathan, his finished work affords a holy hiding place for there only are the unclean made holy in him. You know what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, don't just says this, but he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Kedesh is holy place, and it is a refuge for the unclean. What about Shechem? Shechem means shoulder, and it's a refuge for the weary. Refuge for the weary. The lost sheep in Jesus' day found both safety and rest upon the shepherd's shoulders. 
That's where they found safety. And not only that, but Isaiah reminds us that the government shall be up on his shoulders. In other words, he has strong shoulders. And he can carry the sheep. And he can carry even the government. Luke 15, 3 through 7 says this. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not lead the ninety nine in the open country and go after one, the one that is lost until he finds it. And watch this. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Who that describes me and you. Put us on his shoulders. Shechem means shoulder, a refuge for the weary. What about Hebron? Hebron means fellowship. It's a refuge for the homeless. A refuge for the homeless. Jesus Christ is the only Hebron for the soul. There is no fellowship with the Father but through him. 1 John 1, 3 says this, that which, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. He provides fellowship. Hebron means fellowship, and it is a reference to a refuge for the homeless. Because apart from fellowship with God, we're all homeless. What about Bezer? Bezer means stronghold. And it is a refuge for the helpless. Refuge for the helpless. Uh, there is a refuge for those who are helpless against the powers of sin and Satan. Those who are helpless against the powers of sin and Satan. Well, who does that describe? All of us. Because <laughs> all of us are helpless against his power. Uh, but I thank God that even though we are without strength, there's an answer. Proverbs 18 says, says this, 1810 says this, the Lord, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in it and are safe. He is our Beezer. What about Ramoth? Ramoth means heights. And it makes reference to a refuge for the downtrodden. There is a refuge for those who have been crushed under the weight of their sins. Here, here's what I'd ask you to do. Look up. Jesus is our Ramoth. And he has exalted us with him. Refuge for the downtrodden. Paul says this about it in Ephesians 2, 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What about Golan? Golan means joy. And it is a reference to the refuge for the devastated and destroyed. Reminds us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that there is a refuge for those who have been defeated, devastated, destroyed by their sins. We have a refuge in Jesus. 
our golan, our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And because of that, we can look up because he's allowed us to be seated with him in heavenly places. Let me just say this to you as we've looked at all these, that t- these cities that typify Christ. Here it is. We, you and me, all of us need a refuge. All of us need a refuge. Whether it's admitted or not, all of us need a refuge. We need a place where we can run to and find safety for our souls. All of us need that. Do you, do you agree with that? Would you say amen to that? All of us need a refuge, a place that we can run to to find safety, security for our souls. Here it is. Christ is our refuge. Whatever life may bring your way, run to the refuge. In times of trial, in times of tribulation, in times of crisis, in times of temptation, in times of economic situations and woes, run to the refuge as fast as you can. Don't stop. Run to the refuge. If you can't find the signs along the way that point to Jesus, all you've got to do is listen to him. And run to the refuge. In Christ, we have holiness. We have rest. We have fellowship. We have safety, exaltation, and joy. So we've looked at the provision of refuge. Now let's turn our attention briefly to the settling of the Levites. Somebody asked on Wednesday night, what about the Levites? And I hesitated to say that we were going to talk about that on Sunday. And here we are. Chapter 21, Levites are settled. Uh, as you recall, the tribe of Levi has received to this point no land allotment. Since they served the Lord in the work of ministry, he was their inheritance. They still, though, needed places to live. So the heads of the Levites... <laughs> approached the high priest Joshua, the high priest Joshua and the Israelite leaders to remind them of what God had commanded concerning this matter through Moses back in Numbers chapter 35. In Numbers 35, 1 through 8, God commanded that within the lands already allotted, the Levites were to receive 48 cities with their pasture lands. By the way, these 48 cities included those six cities of refuge that I just talked about. Six of those 48 cities were the cities of refuge. In verses 4 through 42 of chapter 21, we find a record of the 48 cities that the Levites received. 23 of them went to the Kohathite clans, the descendants of Levi's second son, 13 of which were the descendants of Aaron. Thirteen cities went to the Gershon clan, the descendants of Levi's first son, and twelve cities went to Merari's clan, the descendant of Levi's third son. By living in cities scattered throughout the territories of various tribes, the Levites would have access to all of the people so that they could fulfill their duty as recorded in Leviticus 10, 11. Uh, their duty was this, to teach the Israelites all the statutes that the Lord had given them through Moses. And in order to do that, they had to be amongst them all. So this is 
covers the settling of the Levites. But then I've been rushing to get to this at the end of 21, promises fulfilled. Promises are fulfilled in 40 through, 43 through 45. Uh, here at the end of all of the allotments and designations of cities, the writer does as he's done before, looks back over everything and recounts the faithfulness of God. Uh, in the final analysis, after many ups and downs, God has been true to his promises. Let's read it again. It's a beautiful passage. 43 through 45 says this. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their father. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to, the, to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, but the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the of, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Beautiful. What were his promises? Number one, he promises Canaan for possession. We see it in 43, first part in 43. Uh, hundreds of years earlier, God had promised a pilgrim named Abram that he would give the land of Canaan to his offspring. And now, sure enough, at long last, they possessed and they dwelled therein. He promised them rest in 44a. God had promised to give them rest. And now they had rest, rest from the fatigue of the travel through the wilderness, rest from their wars in Canaan. He gave them rest just as he promised them, just as he's promised us. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says this, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He keeps his promise. Lastly, he promised them victory, and he fulfills that promise. God had promised to give them victory and success in their wars, and this promise likewise was fulfilled. No one could stand before them in battle. God gave them the overwhelming advantage in every battle until their own sin and folly. Through their own sin and folly, they relinquished this privilege. This leads us to what is the central affirmation of the entire book of Joshua. It's found in verse 45. I just read it to you. Let me read it one more time because it's worthy of reading as many times as you can. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came past. You all be able to say amen to that because when you think about it, everything that God has promised throughout the course of history, even throughout the course of our lives, come to pass. It may not happen when you wanted it to. It may not have happened the way you wanted it to happen. But God has been faithful to all of his promises throughout history. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. He who promised is faithful, which should lead us to both utter with our mouths and offer with our lives the highest praise to he who is faithful. It should lead us to speak it and to live it, how much we appreciate, how much we love, how much we thank God for keeping all of his promises. He is a refuge provider. 
He is a promise keeper. He is a whole lot more than that. In fact, the songwriter says it this way. He's a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Lord, we thank you for being all of those things. You are a refuge provider. You are one who settles us in those places that you predetermined that we already settled. You are a promise keeper who never went back on his word and who has been faithful even though we have not been. We thank you for being that kind of God. Lord, we love you today, and we pray that both our word and our actions would honor you in all that we do and say. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God be the glory for all the great things that he has done. You may be today and you don't know him. It's a good day to get to know him. Isn't it a good day to get to know him? In fact, today is a better day than there's ever been in history to get to know him. There's never been another day like today. In all the millions of hours and days and thousands of years, there's never been a better day. You know why? Because today is all you got. Tomorrow's not promised. Yesterday is gone. Right now is all you have. So today is the best day, best day in history to do it. So if you're here and you don't know him, here's what I'd ask. Here's, here's what I would suggest. Here's what I would implore that you take care of that today. Would you? If, you, if you're here and you don't know him, we'd love to pray with you and lead you to that relationship. Let us know we can do that. Uh, you can also pray and enter into that relationship on your own. Don't need anybody. Just fall down before him and say, Jesus, I need you. I need refuge. I need safety. I need security. So take care of that. And then secondly, if you've been visiting with us and you'd like to become a part of our family, let us know. And we extend that invitation to you as well that if you'd like to join uh, this family here at Bethel Hope, you have that uh, invitation extended to you. Let us know either way. Uh, you can either stand, grab some one of us after church. Uh, either way, we would be glad to take care of that as well. If nobody, if there's nobody, uh, then we'll move on and, and uh, recognize our first-time guests. Uh, if we have any first-time guests with us today, would you stand and remain standing just for a moment that we might recognize you? We'd love for you to introduce yourself to us and let us know uh, someone invited you or how you ended up.